Welcome to the Club and Country Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is not Wes Bowling. It is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is not West Bowling either. Uh, I'm Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavenge. My name is also not West Bowling, but you are <laughs> way more used to hearing me in this space. I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com and the namesake of this very podcast, Club and Country. So at least one person on the show today that has been covering the team in their prospective location for longer than anyone else and me and Steve. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's collectively we three have been covering the team as long as <laughs> so we've got some fun stuff to do today a lot of a lot of topics here of course uh, obviously with two matches to go in the regular season what do all the scenarios look like we got to start talking scenarios of course uh half, upper half of the bracket bottom half of the bracket in the western conference uh we'll also touch on the fact that they won't be in the western conference nashville sc will not be in the western conference starting next season so one and done we'll get your thoughts on that uh, I just want to get a general sense from both of you on where you guys think this team is relative to the last two seasons heading into the final week of action here with two games left to go. So we'll touch on that. A lot of stuff about the U.S. men's national team inspiring <laughs> inspiring play in their last two friendlies against Japan and Saudi Arabia. So we'll touch on that. A lot of stuff to get to today on the pod. Um, again, Wes dealing with some family ob- obligations. So Steve and I happy to hang out with you guys. I'm sure Tim. Uh, you would prefer to hang out with Wes, but here we are. You're stuck with us, buddy. <laughs> yeah, don't be so certain about that, Braden. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So before we do any of that, however, Tim, this is where you shine. Yes. Club and, Co- Club and Country is brought to you by ML Rose uh, Craft Beer and Burgers. Uh, down on 8th South is the primary location that we talk about for the most part, but there are four other locations around town, if I recall correctly. They're sprouting up everywhere. I start to lose count. Uh, a great place to not only uh, go have some craft beer and burgers, but to hang out with fellow Nashville SC fans and, and fellow fans of the podcast. We love to hear about people who have found the restaurant from our, our reads on this podcast and, and have come hung out with us at, at ML Rose before and after Nashville SC home games. The, the burger of the month is worth the price of admission every single time you go. I think they had a fried green tomato burger a couple like two two months ago spectacular i've had the the golden girl chicken sandwich which i guess technically is not a burger uh but the september burger of the month which is like this crunchy like potato chip breaded chicken breast with peach mint slaw pimento cheese and habanero peach jam it's one of the more creative things i've ever eaten in my life it was absolutely spectacular they have great drink specials of course great place to take the family on the weekend so go to ml rose everybody it's really not that complicated one of the greatest things about ML Rose during the pandemic was uh, we used to order their nachos a, a, a bunch uh, because, and I, and I really, really appreciate this. A lot of people got this really wrong during the pandemic was that uh, if you build like their like massive pile of nachos and let it sit in a box for a half hour before it gets to your table, uh, it sucks, <laughs> but they give you like all the component pieces that you're, you end up kind of building it there when it gets to your house and it's all fresh and good. And just, I, I, I appreciate that it's a little bitty detail, but it makes such a big difference. And plus, yeah. you know, I love those loaded nachos. Those are awesome. Yeah. My wife's a huge fan of the, uh, the black bean nachos for sure. Very spicy. Uh, loves them every, I know it's a burger joint burger and the beer is great, but nachos are pretty good too. Um, so, so are all the, uh, the side items, excellent side items there. So go check it out. ML Rose, great place to watch Nashville SC's final two matches before we get to the MLS cup playoffs. All right, 
real quickly here before we get to Nashville SC moving to the West and a bunch of stuff we need to talk about in terms of playoff scenarios. Just I watched all of the the match against Japan. Um, uh, you're welcome. Uh, I, <laughs> so I, I we watched, don't have to. <laughs> I, yeah, I watched a little bit of this. I I was working. I got I watched a little bit of the Saudi Arabia match. Um, zero goals combined for the U.S. men's national team. They've been de- they've been dealing with some injuries. Um, I guess my question for you two is to g- give me some optimism. We are less than two months away from opening group stage. Give me reasons to be excited about this team. There were moments in qualifying where I was very excited about this team, and I don't feel that way anymore, boys. Help me. Help me here. Yeah, I think one thing that you that is important to keep in mind, and, and a lot of people kind of either choose not to or forget to keep this in mind, is that Greg Berhalter's teams come out when the stakes are low and they play like the stakes are low. Sometimes that's that's literally choosing a lineup that is kind of a what the heck, who are these guys sort of lineup. And sometimes it's it's just the way they appear to be motivated throughout the game. And we saw that in the final match of World Cup qualifying in Costa Rica. They said, hey, we don't need to win this game. We just need to not lose by five. And they went out and kind of played that way and they didn't play their best game. So when the stakes are high, the motivation level appears to be, you know, very appropriate for the stakes of the game. And and when it's a friendly, when it's a, a pair of friendlies uh, in Europe, uh, when the the stakes are low, and when the team is kind of trying to figure some things out, kind of trying to work through some some of the issues that they have shown that they want to kind of hammer out of the system before they arrive in Qatar. It's still not fun. It's not fun to watch. It was not an entertaining television product, but it doesn't really change my opinion about what this team is going to be in Qatar. I I think that's 100% correct. You're seeing a young team. You're seeing a team that of the the players that were on the field uh, against Saudi Arabia and Japan, exactly one of them had played in a World Cup game before. Um, This is a transition team because, because the 2018... Uh, team spit the bit and that don't underestimate kind of what happened, you know, in that sort of transition period. Now, in many ways that trend, that transition and kind of that forced transition during this cycle, I think it's a good thing long-term for us soccer because Mm -hmm. Burhalter ended up, uh, ended up uh, bringing in more new players than anybody in any cycle uh, in us history. Uh, it's it, it, it'll be one of the youngest teams at the world cup. And what do we know from history that young teams that can run a lot d- do well at the world cup. Uh, but it's not without its hiccups. And, and what you're seeing is those hiccups happen in kind of full public display. And, and I, I think that and maybe I'm just telling myself this, uh, <laughs> No, no, it, no. It, the goal was to have zero shots. That was the goal. We, well, we wanted to, we wanted to work through the fact that we cannot shoot on net. Got to save them up for the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to spin them all in one place. I mean, come on. <laughs> but but there is with this U.S. team, they are still finding an identity. They are still finding leadership, kind of within that team. Uh, they don't know they don't know who their leaders are just yet. I, I don't think. I mean, there's certainly some people that have won the captain's armband and, and you would see it, but I mean, there's not, uh, there's not that one grab you by the throat kind of person. I, I think a lot about like Pablo Mastorini and like how important he was to those, those aughts teams uh, that, that the U S had because he brought a measure of steel in there. Pablo Mastorini, by the way, was not going to go to the, was not going to go to the world cup 
uh, before Chris Armis tore a, you know, you know, tore up an ankle uh, in the last warmup before O2, which by the way, you know, they lost going into, you know, they lost their last warmup going into the O2 cycle and went to the quarterfinals. So if you're looking to hang your, your hat on something, you know, there's, there's, there's reasons to have hope about this team. They're, they're really good players on this, uh, on the squad. Some of them may be better uh, from a pure talent level than the U S has ever had before. And, and, you know, they don't have enough time to play together. You know, you're putting all-star teams together and 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 trying to get them to mesh really quickly, and that is really hard to do. So I, think, I guess I, I, go ahead. I, I think on that point too is is Steve. You mentioned that there's a lot of really talented players, and it's also important to note that there were a lot of really talented players that weren't there. Yeah. Um, Tim Wea injured. Um, Gio Reyna, uh, a first half sub in the first game, and and came off after 30 minutes with a minor injury in the second game. Um, Serginho Dest came off at halftime in the first game. A lot of these guys were kind of rested <laughs> it you know the reason that some of these guys didn't play was not because um you know they were they were unable to play and they will be unavailable for Qatar Tim Way is going to be back um Christian Pulisic is going to be playing every single minute in Qatar he did not do that over the weekend so it's something that again it's it did not make for fun fun entertainment product uh, watching those two friendlies but it doesn't necessarily mean a whole yeah. lot um, as long as as long as Greg Berhalter learned that Aaron Long is probably not Walker Zimmerman's uh, center back partner, uh, I, th- I don't think it means a whole lot. Going Chris forward. Richards, please get healthy. I, yeah. Well, and I do think this team is still the the one thing that is different is they're still learning to play without Miles Robinson. There's no question about that, mm-hmm. and he is not going to be a part of the World Cup team with the Achilles injury and was developing quite nicely into one of the better players on the team. Uh, so uh, so learning how to finish in the summertime, which they did, sort of second half finishes in a lot of games. Uh, you you mentioned the leadership. You're talking about how young they are. Like the the your expectations have not changed all that much from how they performed in World Cup qualifying to now just six seven weeks out from group stage. You guys are still cautiously optimistic. Where where, where are we here as a group? I mean, I'm I'm like a natural unfettered optimist, but uh, I I also have realistic expectations for for where the U.S. fits in the world of of global soccer. So. You know, the same, the same, it is the same expectations that I had, but you know, those expectations are get out of the group and and maybe win one more game. It's not like this team is is going to go out and win the world cup. Um, Knock on wood that they have the chance to do that. But uh, you know, I don't think the expectations have gotten lower than what were already reasonably modest expectations. (laughs) I I watched, uh, I I watched a bunch of uh, a a bunch of us opponents kind of in this, in this international break. Uh, I watched both the England games. Uh, you know, I watched mm-hmm. a bunch of whales. I, I got a little bit of a feed. I think from, they're called uh, a pod of whales. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got a little <laughs> bit of a, uh, of an illegal feed to watch uh, some of an Iran friendly. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> be, be careful when you're watching illegal <laughs> Iranian feeds. <laughs> there is not. There are no in. There are no invincible teams kind of within our group. Uh, I, I would go so far as to say I don't think Wales is very good. Uh, I, I think Iran is is better than Wales. Yeah. Um, Wales is a great story, um, but but Wales is not very good. And 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 to be quite honest, uh, I, I'm I would I'm much more concerned about beating Iran, uh, and maybe that's just leftover. Uh, I'm kind of PTSD from the 1998 World <laughs> Cup. Yeah, that's a long time to hold on to that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, scars go deep, buddy. Uh, the I'm worried about the Iran more, and and honestly, I, I think we have a puncher's chance against England. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I, I watched England be England can be completely turgid uh, at times, 
and, and they they have the same problem that the U.S. has, which is they have the, a lot of young attacking talent that they have not necessarily figured out how to use to their fullest extent. You saw a little bit of it in the Germany game, but you know this is an England team that in the Nations League got relegated uh, because they, they they just they they don't have their act together. Their backline is not. I mean, for all the concerns about the U.S. backline. The England backline is just not that good, uh, you know. Especially if they're going to continue, you know, floating Harry Maguire out there. So, <laughs> I, I just, you know, the U.S. The, the U.S. is not. It, it should not be wowed by anybody in their group, and they should, if they're playing up, which I, to Tim's point, I think he's exactly right. This team plays up to its yeah. its, mm-hmm. its best opponents, plays down to. They, they did all throughout qualifying. I, I think they can do the same in in the World Cup. I feel so much better. I hope everyone else feels <laughs> so much better now. I, I yeah, do. It, there's a whole like rest versus rhythm thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. About these friendlies. And so I, I, we, I think m- most people understand that, but man, it was not inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. And, and part of it too is, is, and, and, you know, Tim, uh, Tim has said this before. Um, they, they, they play a very deliberate kind of very specific style of play under Burhalter. That is, I mean, it's a, honestly, it's more of a club style of play mm-hmm. and they have, that's hard to put together when you're just pulling guys together for you know a week at a time. You know they they have some fairly specific sets of instructions uh, that when they play simpler, and you saw this like in the in in the second half of the Japan game, and and you saw this uh, a little bit against Saudi Arabia when they play simpler and more direct, which I think you're going to see more of that at the World Cup. They're a much more dangerous team. Okay, all right. I was expecting I was expecting doom and gloom. I'm I'm I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, and now with Tim, optimist <laughs> optimistic here because uh, I'm I'm the opposite. I'm like eternally pessimistic about anything that has to do with the U.S. men's national team. So um, that's just that's just a, a me problem. Uh, all right, so Nashville SC is moved is moving. Excuse me to the Eastern Conference. One year in the Western Conference. Uh, personally, I mean, from a travel standpoint, this makes a ton of sense with the new television broadcast distribution model. This could make a ton of sense from a rivalry standpoint. It makes a ton of sense. Predators fans have been dealing with this for years. They hate being in the Western Conference in Nashville. So I guess your initial thoughts on the move. I think it's I I mean, I don't know what's not to like about it. I think there's a it's a whole lot of positives for both the club, the fans, and maybe even potential broadcast teams <laughs> who may or may not be <laughs> calling games uh in the future that I want to see Tony and I'll be very blunt. I want to see Tony and Jamie calling games you know, against Atlanta, against Orlando, against, you know, these teams that are, are rivals. Yeah. I think from the, from the big picture perspective, I think the rivalry part of it is a huge part of, of why it makes a ton of sense. Atlanta, you know, under four hours away, Cincinnati, four hours away, um, sporting Kansas city, I believe was the closest Western conference team. And it's like, you know, eight hours away. You can't, you can't do that as a day trip if you're driving. So it is a situation where there are suddenly realistic you know, fan bases that you can go hang out with and build a rivalry with a, a friendly rivalry, hopefully, but it is a situation where it makes a ton of sense. My like semi tinfoil hat sort of view on it is they move Nashville to the West to say, okay, Nashville, you have not played probably five or six of these teams in the West. Let's just get everybody out of the way. Let's get your first game out of the way against Vancouver, your first game out of the way against uh, LAFC, your first game out of the way against uh, San Jose, they might've played last year, but you know, get, get that first game against everybody out of the way. And then you can go back to the conference where you make more geographic sense. 
Um, so now that that's the case, I, th I do think it does make a ton of sense for Nashville. See, it always seems like a one-year thing. The fact that it's um, pseudo-official now doesn't really change my view on the matter, but it definitely is nice that, uh, you know, wiser heads don't necessarily always prevail in some of these mm. MLS things. And it's nice to hear that it does sound like they're going to. Do you think, do you think that long-term they're going to go to a structure that's not the, that's not the conferences? They have, they have to, but yeah. right. Cause you can't play, you know, even when they get to 30, which is in the not so distant future, that's, you know, 14 teams that you play twice. That's 28 games. You have basically no cross conference play at that point. And there are, are a ton of structures that you could do with, with greater on a greater number of divisions, or even with, with just a single table and you kind of randomly don't play some teams or do play some teams. It is a situation where there has to be some other structure that, that makes more sense than just two conferences at this point. Uh, I think the fact that Don Garber comes from the NFL where the uh, two conferences are not geographically aligned is something to keep in mind too. It might make more sense down the road. You get a little bit more, geographic diversity in the teams that you play if that's sort of the structure that they go for but yeah i, I you have to think that it can't just be east west in perpetuity for sure no i mean I, I, when you when you start kind of like pulling apart kind of like how do you get to a similarly sized uh uh schedule which is right now 34 games mm -hmm. um you know if you break them into like six five team pods and you get kind of natural geographic rivals that yeah. you're doing home and away against and then you try to like get another game against uh, against everybody else in the league you can kind of accomplish a couple of things mm -hmm. that way i i, th I think you're gonna I, I think you're gonna see something like that once the once expansion is kind of fully is fully baked um you know st louis is coming in next year that's the you know that's the impetus to kind of put nashville back to the east i think once you see uh, everybody else who, who might come in I, I believe it would be would be west of us. Yeah, Vegas, Vegas and Sacramento fighting for that last spot yeah. is is a big one. So, what, so, what was the Steve? What was the name of the division that J.R. Lind used to call the NHL Central Division? Oh, what Conference Three. Conference Three. <laughs> Can we just have Conference Three in the MLS? <laughs> um, who would be who? Give me the. Let's say it's a five team. I guess it would probably be a five team pod. If it's thirty total, you're probably not going to have six five team. You know, it's probably going to be five. Who would be the four you would want to see? In a in a Nashville division, who who are the four teams? You, I mean, St. Louis and Cincinnati are probably no brainers. Mm -hmm. uh, Atlanta, I would love to see that. They could go south with it and make it all southeast, right? So what what direction do you think they would? What, what would you what would you want to see in a five team Nashville division? The the one issue is you you want Nashville and Atlanta together. You want Atlanta and Orlando together. You want Orlando and Miami together. That's four right. teams that basically you cannot break up. And so then it really is who's the last one. Don't want to get Cincinnati away from Columbus. You really don't want to get St. Louis away from Kansas City, but you know you can have kind of out of division rivals. I guess would be a way to to make it happen. But Charlotte is one that makes sense because yeah. you kind of are just keeping it in the southeast at that point. Yeah, N Nashville, Charlotte, Atlanta, Orlando, Miami yep. Yep. is mm -hmm. probably the natural way to do it. The the other way you could do it is if you did like kind of a coastal thing, um, is you could keep Orlando and Miami together, and you could do. You could do Nashville, Cincinnati, Columbus, Charlotte, Atlanta, and kind of have this sort of like conference three. Yeah. <laughs> conference three. Let's come on back. Because Chicago, I mean, Chicago, Columbus, Cincinnati, St. Louis, that all makes a lot of sense yeah. too. Like, Probably, yeah. the, the thing there is, even that is like Kansas City or or Minnesota, because they're right. both kind of natural rivals for Chicago. Right. So it's, it's, you get a weird, you get, 
breaking news the country is big and kind of has weird <laughs> layouts for cities and and most humans live uh east of the mississippi so so there's that uh all hey, right tim hey tim do you th if you were trying to win the supporter shield this year would you rather be trying to do it from the east or the west um last year i think it was it was very clearly the west was the easier conference this year i think they're like very 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 close um, especially when you don't have like in the East, you don't have a Cincinnati that is just so much worse than everybody else. Like Cincinnati may very well make the playoffs. <laughs> There's so much improved, right. but I think the fact that, um, you have sporting Kansas city and Houston and San Jose in the West means there are more soft points to take. Uh, your mileage may vary as to whether that means everybody's taking those soft points and therefore it's more competitive or you have your guaranteed soft points and therefore you, you end up with a higher point total and that makes it easier. I think probably the latter. Um, so yeah, because, because a team in the East doesn't have that opportunity. So I do think the West is probably a little bit easier this year, just because the bottom is, is, is so low. Whereas the East only has DC that that's truly that bad. Uh, I want to get your thoughts guys on sort of the state of the franchise heading into its third postseason run, hopefully uh, of course uh, here in, in just a few minutes and just sort of how the story about this third season will be written when, when it's all said and done. I'd like to get you guys to do some prognostication uh, in just a few minutes. And we'll look at all the different scenarios that could, that could play out for Nashville in their final two matches. Of course, the final match at home against Houston on Sunday at 7.30 at the exact same time as Elton John at Nissan Stadium, unfortunately for me, um, as well as, of course, the season finale against LAFC on uh, the 8th following the next weekend. But before we do any of that, boys, if I were to go watch a match, Nashville SC match. Where would I watch one of those, Tim? Yeah, you know what? I've I've long suspected that one of the best places to go watch a Nashville SC match, or if you are going to the match at home, you can walk to or from here uh, before or after. Is ML what? Rose on Eight South? It is a it is a fourteen minute and twenty second walk. I walked into <laughs> ML Rose after a game a few weeks ago and showed Wes my watch, and I said, "Look, this is how far it is. I've been saying it's fifteen ten to fifteen minutes this whole time." Uh, so it, it it really is uh, a conveniently close place to go to pregame or postgame for matches too, not just watch the, the final away match against LAFC. Um, great beer, great people, great food. Um, we get a ton of people for, for the away matches, a ton of people hang out there and, and you can see people decked out in gold gear. That's not something that you're going to see at a ton of bars around Nashville. And it's something that we're really happy that not only has ML Rose kind of embraced us, but they have embraced being a soccer bar too. Yep. Uh, and I will say this, like we're all about locally owned companies that are like kind of owned and operated here by Nashvillians and for Nashvillians. And the Charlotte location is great. I love the Charlotte location. My wife works over there. We do the Charlotte location all the time, but there's something different about walking into the eighth Avenue one that brings me back 15 years. to like when I was, a when I was, a when I was in my late twenties and single and like having fun and being out and doing fun stuff, there's just something nostalgic about that sitting at that bar looking at a gazillion stickers from all over the world. Like it's just, it's just, a, it's a great place to, to pregame postgame, uh, great food. The, the, the garden in the back now, it's a great place to watch matches. It's a great place to watch anything and a great place to grab a after, after work cocktail and a beer, or perhaps a lunch, a lunch meeting. I, I do lots of lunch meetings at ML Rose on eighth Avenue. The, uh, the craft beer selection that they have is insanely good. And, very well curated. So, mm -hmm. so they do a thing, uh, their managers get together once a quarter and go through all the different offerings that might, that might be on the beer menu for the next, for the next quarter. 
And I've sat in on a couple of those discussions and it's kind of really wild, sort of wild to see because there's a lot of balancing that goes on. You know, you can't put like, oh, look, here's 20 new IPAs that we're going to add to the, uh, to the, to the menu. <laughs> you might want to inform some other places around town <laughs> that you can't do that. But, it, but it's a, <laughs> a really broad kind of diverse uh, list of beers mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it's a really good draft list. And then they, they supplement it with, uh, with a pretty extensive kind of, kind of bottle and can collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get, uh, particularly in the and you know we're here in September, so it's the end of summer. But particularly in summer, there, there's kind of a broad range of kind of like really crisp, refreshing beers that you can find that aren't gonna kind of blow out your palate with, you know, with with a billion with with a billion hops. Well, as as a guy who's pro hops, uh, I also too want variety. And if your beer makes it onto that list, you've done something right. Yeah. Because cur- curated is a is a loose term for how 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 seriously ML Rose takes it uh, when it comes to putting it. And they got specials all the time. Like they've got mm-hmm. like these four beers on a special for four dollars. They've got a happy hour from, you know, every location has a different happy hour. So uh, they're always doing something special for their their uh, their patrons, as they say. And uh, so go check them out before the game, after the game, during the game, all different times. M.O. Rose. Uh, all right. Houston. Last home match. Nashville SC, three points, one point, a loss. They are currently fourth in the standings, hosting a match right now. What are the scenarios that fans need to know in terms of how this match could play out heading into the final weekend next weekend? Yeah, I think the the most important thing to keep in mind is that this is one of the last games of the weekend. It's Sunday evening. A lot of games are happening on Saturday, and it's possible that Nashville's playoff fate could be sealed by the time they even kick the first ball on Sunday evening. However, uh, one point is not going to be enough to keep that hold on a home game in all in all likelihood, unless every single thing went right for them. It would not be enough to keep hold on that playoff game. If they win, uh, it's it's pretty much there. It definitely seals them in the playoff field, which is you know all but official at this point, and it almost certainly keeps them ahead of the the competitors to take that fourth spot. Depending on what happens with the FC Dallas game Saturday afternoon, they could even move up to the third spot with a win against Houston. So, um, you know, if you have a game that has these level of stakes uh, going into the final couple of weeks of the season, uh, quite frankly, Houston is the team that you'd want to have it against. And and Giotto's Park is probably where you'd be wanting to play this game because Nashville SC has really come around on its form in Giotto's Park. Uh, Houston Dynamo has fallen apart over the course of the season. They've already made a coaching change. Paolo Nagamura was was unceremoniously uh, relieved of his duties just a few weeks ago. And it's a situation where Nashville is, has no excuses to do anything other than go out and, and score a bunch of goals and take all three points. How bad do you think it has to be that 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 Nagamura was uh, fired within sight of the finish line when you knew he was going to be fired and they were mm-hmm. just like, Ah, uh, screw it. Let's 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 do this now. I mean, it had to be like something had to be up there. Well, so I uh, heard a pretty good discussion about this on I can't remember if it was Allocation Disorder podcast or Extra Time, the the official MLS podcast and uh, official, official uh, anti Hani Mukhtar uh, the, the official the well. official uh, <laughs> podcast of Sebastian Driussi. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it seemed like they knew pretty early on that Nagamura was not going to be the guy. And it was just a matter of, do we let him get to the end of the season or do we want to make ourselves kind of like the college football concept of, do we want to be the place that every coach gives a first look, every candidate yeah. says, this is the first job that's available. I'm at least going to give it a look because Houston is not a job that guys are going to give a look. If a few other more desirable positions come open, 
And that makes sense to me at the same time. Um, I'm always a guy that's like, Hey man, you hire this guy to a two or three year contract. You might as well let him see out the first year before you fire him. Um, even if you know that it's not going to work out, uh, you know, this is, this is, there's, there's a certain loyalty to a guy who came in and, and, and did a job in a really tough situation over the course of this season. But yeah, it makes sense. It doesn't help them as they, you know, try to avoid finishing at the bottom of the league. I think there's a, a okay chance that that they end up dropping behind San Jose Earthquakes, who they are two points ahead of at this point. But yeah, it it, it is what it is in, in a situation where it just seemed like it wasn't going to work out for him. And um, you know, the, the the last five or six games, however long ago they they fired him, weren't going to change anybody's mind and, and might you know, if anything, have given a little bit of false hope. You might as well get the job done. And and it, and it feels like a loss here, like with all that's at stake, with them finally sort of finding their form and 14 goals in four matches and the way the team had been playing, it just, it feels unacceptable <laughs> to do anything but take three points if you're a fan of this team. There's other, obviously there's context and nuance involved in all of that conversation, but it doesn't feel like they have any excuses this weekend uh, with all that is on, on the line. And I guess my only question, well, I guess two, two, two parts here for both of you guys. What is is the the 14 goals in four matches and then the subsequent two two draws like is that a function of scheduling and and is that a function of did you see something that you didn't like did you see something that they're doing differently was that just a function of two playing two good teams i know they scored a bunch of goals on austin and then and then drew um and then is there any reason at all to want to be in the bottom half of the bracket at all or is that just just a total hot take for me no, it's a hot take. You want a home game for sure, especially the way this team has been playing, especially the way that a home game helps you not just on the field, but in terms of kind of selling yourself to to players in the global transfer market. Say, hey, look at this atmosphere that we put together. Yeah. A playoff game is going to be a, a, a completely, you know, another level from what we've already seen. Presumably, I would I would hope that it's another level from what we've already seen. But yeah, I, I think you're right with the schedule is a big part of it. Like going to Austin and taking a draw is a huge right. result. I know people don't feel great about it because you want to win every game, but I, I think uh, I, I, I have the table pulled up right here. Austin at home has only not won um, eight times all year. So they've, they've won eight and they've only not won eight times and they've only lost three. It's not like you're going in there and saying, okay, we're going to a team that has been incompetent at home. And all of a sudden, this is one of the best home teams in the league. And to right. go in there and get a draw is a good result. Yeah, I, I was I was feeling fairly uh, morose about the team before this last run. Uh, I, the the run of results is when you want to have them. You want yep. to have that sort of kick in the ass kind of later in the season, uh, and kind of pointed towards the playoffs. And if they had if they had put up uh if they had put up like really great home numbers early and then kind of tailed off mm -hmm. i think it would be i think it would be much more of a warning sign heading headed for the playoffs um they have two really interesting games coming up going into it they have a houston team that that they should absolutely smash and it'll be a good sort of kind of I, I think that's a good indicator of yeah uh, of where a team is is when you can when you can put the wood to, to, to bad teams. Mm -hmm. uh, and then LAFC, LAFC is going to be a weird one. Uh, the, the supporter shield may be wrapped up. They may be resting players. Uh, Nashville may have more to play for than, than they do. And you know, th this, this run of results this weekend is going to be, is going to be really interesting. Those, but that they could I, conceivably they could, they could pick up 
four, maybe six points kind of going into the playoffs. And if that happens, you know, they're, they're right where you want them to be and, and in, in the form you want them to be in. How, how do you guys feel relative to the first two seasons about this team? It does feel similar to last year in that Hani turns it on, becomes this superstar playmaker that is, you know, creating goals on almost every possession. And he sort of seems to be doing it about the same time this year. So how, how different, obviously there's some personnel changes from year to year, but just how, how different do you guys feel? Certainly the first year further down the table, they came in with a lot of momentum. They, you know, they, they played really well in, in that playoff run last year. They were a fought with much, much higher expectations. Mm-hmm. So where, where do you guys feel that this group is heading into the final two matches and heading into the subsequent postseason relative to the first two, two trips into the playoffs? I would say this is the first year that feels like Nashville SC is an MLS team rather than is an MLS expansion team, because obviously first year they were literally an expansion team and then it was disrupted by a global pandemic. Not sure if you guys heard about it. And then last year was, <laughs> was, was what felt like a first year because they were finally playing home yeah. games. They were finally, you know, having something that was approximating what a normal season would look like after the global pandemic. And then, so but, still not, but can... still not even in their home stadium yet. <laughs> right. Right. But you look at it now and you say, okay, this is a team that, that now does have its own home stadium that now does kind of have some continuity in terms of who has been here, who is back. You see a, a bit more normal of a, of an off season where it's like, here's, here's what the transfer market is going to look like year over year. Um, obviously there has been quite a bit of continuity because I think this was a three-year project from like Jacobs and Gary Smith in the first place. And they're kind of building towards this and it's going to be a bit more churn and a bit more what a typical MLS team looks like in terms of how much the roster turns over over the course of the year. But this was the first year that really felt like Nashville has an MLS team and this is the the 2022 edition of the MLS team rather than, oh, we, we finally have this team here. What's it going to look like? What's all that? So with that in mind, um, you know, a, a fourth place finish is not what this what this team is gunning for. It's not what they thought they were gunning for at the beginning of the year. They thought they were going to be, you know, top two or three in the Western Conference. It didn't happen that way. You look at kind of the way the narrative played out. And I think, Steve, what you just mentioned, where they're playing well now, but they had that midseason lull. I think the the uh, the sequence of events made that midseason lull feel probably worse than it was. And it might make right now feel a little bit better than it is, but on aggregate, if they are able to pass Dallas in these past don't, two weeks, don't you have to? Aren't you contractually obligated to use the word "small sample size" right now? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. <laughs> uh, it, it it artificially because of small sample sizes made that it happen. I, uh, we don't I, have I, the we don't have the Walker Zimmerman. Honestly, to me, that's a small sample size drop. But I, well, and I, I, I will say this: I also think it affects when you do it relative to attention spans, mm-hmm. because it, you turn like Hani Mukhtar t- turns it on right as football gets started and like football yeah. sucks up all the oxygen in, in your sort of media ecosystem and to play poorly in the summertime when a lot of people are focused on your product. I think that was, I think that was a part of, I, I don't, I don't want to say like lowering expectations because they just aren't as good as they were last year, or maybe, yeah. maybe as good as they thought they were going to be this year. Um, does a playoff run change all of that? Is that, is that what we're, is that, is this like every sport in the history of the world? Yeah, like, I mean, it's great playoff run changes that it depends on the playoff run, right? If they go, you know, beat, whoever the, the sixth seed is and then lose in the next round. It's okay. This is kind of in line with what you've done over the course of, yeah. of the season. If you go and get an upset in the second round of the playoffs, all of a sudden this season is like a, an uproarious success. <clears throat> and it's a situation where, um, you know, the, the differences between soccer where the regular season is so important because it's part of a, a sport that the regular season is all that exists in other countries. 
versus, you know, anything short of a, of an MLS cup, or at least making it to the MLS cup match doesn't feel like you've really changed the narrative that much because of the importance of, of how people see the final table. The supporter shield is not something who won the supporter shield in the NFL last year. It was, it's not called that, but who had the best record in the NFL? I don't remember, but I remember who the Super Bowl champion was. Right. So it's kind of a different situation for soccer, but the story is yet to be written, but I, I think even if they if they pass Dallas in these final two matches and finish third in the conference, you, it's pretty more close. Of a rhythm, it's it's more it's more of a rhythm of of what a, a typical franchise will be going forward, rather than okay the excitement of a first year, the excitement of of a non pandemic year, the excitement of opening a stadium year. All of a sudden, you're you're kind of settling into a rhythm, and, and a team is not going to be elite year after year in a league with a salary cap. And I don't think people are going to be too disappointed as long as as uh, less than elite still means finishing with a home playoff game and 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 potentially you know hopefully making a run in those playoffs. I I, I do think that it was that that the timing of kind of how they've pulled it together here is probably less fortunate for the club. Uh, and, and on the and on the business side, because there were so many people sampling the the product here mm-hmm. early in the season, and and in some, I mean, there were some, I mean, there were some miserably hot games in you know like June, July that they that they had twenty eight thousand people at, uh, and, and a lot of those were you know a lot of those were people coming there for the first time wanting to see it, you know, and they would see like a hot lethargic one, one draw. And it doesn't, it doesn't kind of do much to sort of with a late, con- sell, with a, with a late- sell the, the, the team long-term, especially with now, a late concession. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, yeah. Give, <laughs> giving up a lead late in the game and walking out and you're like, Oh, it was a really nice stadium, but that was disappointing. My, my, <laughs> here's the key. My five-year-old uh, leaves in like the 88th minute every time um, because traffic, you know, that would have saved you the Portland game. Uh, she's she's so, never yeah, I was gonna seen, say how many how many equalizers she's, did she miss? She's <laughs> never she's never seen them lose. She thinks they've won every single match. <laughs> like she's been like five times, and every time we leave in like the 89th minute, right before it gets crazy, and there there you go. She thinks they've won every one. It's 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 quite nice. I, I it does feel like first of all, we got we do have to step back for a second and just say three straight years of MLS playoff for an expansion franchise. Like there, there is like, we can get lost in the weeds of expectations of the preseason and how they've played in the summer and then how they played recently and all this other stuff. But we're, we're awfully spoiled to be complaining about where they're at in the table, just three, three years into an expansion franchise. Yeah. And if, if they win a playoff game, I believe that that sets a record for, for an expansion team winning a playoff game in the first three years. Um, they might, it's unclear whether they passed it last year with Seattle because the playoffs had a very different structure when Seattle joined the league back in like Oh seven Oh eight. So, uh, but either way, like I, I know, I understand the disappointment. I've, I was saying it in the middle of the summer when everybody was really disappointed about how the results were going. This is this has honestly been an unprecedented success in this league when you when you peel back the layers a little bit. And that is something to keep in mind perspective-wise. Even if you're disappointed on a on a game to game basis, the the overall picture, uh, would you rather be what, what Nashville has done or would you rather be what Miami has done or what Charlotte is is doing right. in its first year? So there's there are are some uh, you know items of perspective to keep in mind too, even if it, it doesn't end up the way that we want it to, you know, four or five weeks down the road. Man, I, I sure wish I had the ability to run a business the way Miami <laughs> is running a business. <laughs> Let's just spend as much money as possible. It's wonderful. Um, all right. So I feel better about the U.S. men's national team. I, I, I now have some perspective, I feel like, 
on on you know being a little disappointed about the performance this year but now i'm excited again and there's some perspective stepping back looking at it from 10,000 feet um you guys there no except no excuses for this weekend uh against houston that's for sure final home match of the year uh, 7 30 p.m on sunday night so make sure you check it out uh pre-game and post-game where should we go to pre-game and post-game tim i would recommend ml rose on 8 south it's a 14 minute and 20 second walk there for ex- that that is precise um <laughs> that no second source is needed on on that one that, that is for sure uh, cavendish where can people find you man uh they can find me uh at scavendish on twitter or instagram but i mean only come to instagram if you want to see pictures of my dog that's about it there you have it. maybe some rotting tomato plants uh honored <laughs> to be to be filling in for west this week uh of course uh, as he deals with some stuff uh, we'll talk with him soon uh tim uh, where can everybody find you? Where can everybody read all your stuff? Where where should everybody go and rate and review and subscribe and click and all that stuff? Yeah, if you're listening to the podcast, you probably know where to find it. But uh, on on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, give hit us with that five star review. It really does help more people find it. Tell a friend that will really help them find it. Um, you can find my written work on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. All the all the social media outlets are all the same at Club Country USA, and the website is clubcountryusa.com where as we were speaking during this podcast, I hit publish on the on the rooting guide for this weekend. So you'll be able to wow. uh, you'll be able to see what we were just talking about too. You, you guys don't know this, but in the middle of this show, Tim Sullivan has published an article. Steve <laughs> Cavendish has broken news on Twitter, and I have done nothing. I just, I just. <laughs> oh, you you hosted with the festival. Yeah, yeah. No, a- you did average, average work rate at best. Average work rate. My expected goal is very low, uh, <laughs> as as usual. For Steve, for Tim, thanks for hanging out with us this week. Uh, enjoy the penultimate weekend of action. Just one more week to go before the playoffs. Should be a lot of fun. Special thanks to Moon Taxi as well. Make sure you go to ML Rose as well. Rate, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a great weekend. This has been the Club and Country Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network.